ora, greetings and welcome to Green Planet FM 104.6. I'm Tim Lynch and I trust that you are doing well. I invite you to stay with me over the next hour as we discuss and find ways to take care of our unique and magnificent Green Planet Earth. A huge number of us today are realizing that planet Earth, our only life support system, is going through many changes that are reaching thresholds of unsustainability. And of course, many of us have intuitively known this for many years. Yet unbeknown to the masses of humanity, science is gradually and begrudgingly, I might add, realizing that our planet is a colossal living superorganism. That is a homeostatic, subtly balanced life support system that actually provides us with bodies in which to grow and even have communion with her and allows us to connect to all the creatures of the animal and plant kingdom through the sharing of the invisible gas, oxygen. That is part of the carbon cycle. And yet, it is the indigenous peoples who have been and remain the most connected to our planet. And in nearly all cases, keep this connection by having total reverence for nature and most keeping the soles of their feet touching the earth directly. Like the Na'avi of Avatar, they have a deep knowing and respect of nature. And now the indigenous peoples here on earth are saying, Hey, white man. We told you hundreds and hundreds of years ago that Mother Earth is alive. Glad that you are waking up now. And in 2001, in Amsterdam, in the Netherlands, a symposium called the International Geosphere Biosphere Program, 1,400 scientists from 105 countries came together to agree on what comprised the makeup of our planet. The final consensus was... The Earth system behaves as a single, self-regulating system comprised of physical, chemical, biological and human components. That description, though somewhat sanitized, is actually describing a living being. In a letter to me, James Lovelock, who brought through the Gaia hypothesis, said this is the best that the scientific world could do in the meantime to show that our planet is in fact alive. I would take it one further and say sentient. Particularly since over the last few years a Canadian and an American scientific team have found out that minerals evolve. And finally, in the words of Captain Edgar Mitchell, the sixth man to walk on the moon, he says, God dreams in the minerals, awakens in plants, walks in the animals, and thinks in man. And what do you intuit as to what is humanity's next evolutionary and spiritual step? In the studio this morning, I continue the discussion with Bruce Lipton from Santa Cruz, California, and Norma Tarango from Santa Fe in New Mexico in America. And we're discussing and talking about the changes that are necessary if we as a human want to reach our potential and not become ensnared in the daily grind of survival when we really want to be free beings. And the conversation has carried on how we are sort of enmeshed by corporations and business wanting to capture our attention to make us think certain ways and buy products other ways. And so, Bruce, I see an emergent humanity. I see us realizing that we love our children so much and our grandchildren that we really want to be able to leave them a world, a planet that we were born into because we had our cake and eat it too. We're part of the baby boomer generation. And I want to feel that we baby boomers also come through for the new babies that are booming at the moment. So what are your feelings about how we adults can do something really for the world? John Kennedy said it so well. It's not what your country can do for you. It's what you can do for your country. How do you feel on this? Well, that whole concept of 
taking care of our children and preparing for a future and giving the children a much better future has finally come to an end in the United States because this is the first time now that the next generation that is coming right now has less opportunity than any previous generation. They have a shorter lifespan. They'll have greater disease and illness than any previous generation. And their ability to try to live a better life than their parents is not really likely in the sense that the current generation maybe got three or four BMWs in the garage and you got a big mansion and all this kind of stuff. It's like that reached a peak of materialism and extremism. And now we have to cut back. And people with all that money are finding themselves cutting back. And yet what the issue was that you brought up is that we once did this because it was for our children, which is interesting because the Native Americans, when they created any policy, while the policy might be instituted right now, their primary concern was how will this policy affect seven generations from today? And we don't even see how the policy will affect next week. So basically, we have lost this entire vision. And by losing that vision, we have compromised tomorrow. So now we have the unfortunate sorrow of talking to our own children and saying, geez, that world that uh, I was hoping that I would leave for you may not be here now, and you may not have this. And this is really causing this great disconnection. And it's interesting because uh, being a visitor here, one of the things I so appreciate about this country, and that it's very difficult if you're in the country, I guess, to see it most of the time, because when you're in something, you get lost in it. You don't see outside. But to come back and look at it is just... New Zealand is one of the most remarkable countries in the world for this reason. In the age of imperialism, when the British and all the other imperialist countries went out and grabbed as much land as they could possibly get, in every instance, they took the native indigenous population, which were the earth people, the people that communicated with the planet, that have a voice to talk with that and could understand harmony in the garden, so to speak. Every country, the indigenous people got wiped out. In Australia, they broke up the families and sent the kids to the white schools. In the United States, they essentially killed most of the Indians. And why is this relevant? Because you lost a voice, the voice that held us on the planet for thousands of years. Now I come and I say, gosh, New Zealand is the most fantastic one of all because the Maori did not get beaten and taken in and lost in the process. They're still here. There are leaders like Rose Perez who will come out and say, look, we've been holding on to these truths for thousands of years, and for the longest time, we've kept it away from the white people because they are so destructive of this planet. But as I heard Rose speak, she said, now is the time to bring this back because the white people are finally gotten the message that this is not sustainable. And how do you find what's sustainable? We'll find out. Let's talk to the planet. Well, who does that? Well, the native indigenous people do, and most of them are gone. So it's time for us to say, look, we've had truths here for thousands of years. It's time to re take those truths back in. Now, I'm not saying that we go back and become like native indigenous people and have teepees and sit around campfires and do all that, although it would be a nice break from the contemporary situation to do that. But basically it says to do this, is to say, take the message of the indigenous people and integrate it and incorporate it with the message of the technology and advancements that have occurred in the Western world Put those two together, because without that, the excesses of technology are destructive on the environment, come back and bite their own tail. And what it basically says is technology is good, but not without balance and harmony. And so by removing the balance and harmony, which is indigenous vision, we have a, a very dangerous technology world because it's undermining our own lives and our own children's lives. And that's what we started with. Basically, it says, I cannot say to my kids that your life will be ever as good as my life was. Does that mean from now on it's a downhill reality? And the answer is no. From now on, it's time to rebuild a new reality to return what was lost. And that's why I see New Zealand as a leader because New Zealand had, still has this infused as part of its culture, as part of its tradition. And therefore, it still represents a voice for the world. And New Zealand should represent the voice of the world. If New Zealand gives up its voice and becomes like the rest of the world, then I know where it's going. It's what I escape from. But I have trouble now because after coming and finding New Zealand, I don't know of another New Zealand to go to from here. 
And where you've spent a lot of time with Polynesians and also with Southwest American Indians, can you explain how you feel about this? Part of the reason that I am about the indigenous is because I am indigenous. I may not be indigenous as in fully full-blood Maori or Hawaiian or whatever. My father had Comanche blood, so I have that, in a sense, in my genetic code to guide me. I've always chosen to live close to indigenous people because I believe they're holding the soul of the planet, of Gaia. The indigenous soul is still very much alive within the cultures, even though they've been very beat up, too, by the paradigm as it's grown. The grandmothers, the voice of the ancestors, the voice of the creator coming through indigenous soul, be it native or non-native, is very important now, and I believe that by giving voice to it literally in technology, the media, the radio programs, the stories in books that are being printed by what is coming forward now, I agree with Bruce that the voice of the ancestors through the living embodiment of the indigenous ones right now is crucial to maintaining and providing an example of that thousands of years long connection to the canoes thousands of years long a connection to the consciousness of staying with regard to the next seven generations which also the iroquois confederation was modeled on that and that was something that was to me that's the third thing that got left out of our constitution there was this disregard for seven generations that spoke to this so the indigenous voice merged with technology at that level printing writing speaking to conferencing 20 years ago, people like Rose Perret would not come out. 20 years ago, the people that I have been working with in the Southwest would not come out. They recognize the, the pain on the planet, and they recognize that there's a leadership within their own tribal communities that has been inculcated and must now speak to and provide, I don't know if it's an antidote, but at least some kind of contrast that allows the earth, human, humanity, compassion, garden to be seen again. Because it's still there. It didn't go away. It just kind of got slimed over by corporate interests or greed or lack of compassion or lack. Just a lack. We're better than you lack. And it was a virus. Everybody got infected, including the indigenous communities. And they're struggling with it, but they're coming back to the, I'm seeing the voice of the grandmothers being stronger than ever. And I laud that. You know, Norman, I really appreciate that point of view because uh, this is one of the reasons why I call the book Spontaneous Evolution. Mm. And the significance about that is that in our world today, we're familiar with people that are on a terminal deathbed and everyone counts them out. And then there's a strange event happens and we refer to it as a spontaneous remission. What's very interesting, if you say, well, in all these cases of so-called spontaneous remission, is there a common underlying factor? And the answer is yes. In every case, the individual patient had a very profound change of belief about their place in the world and who they were. Change, I mean, just radical change. And it was that radical change in belief that led to a radical change in their health and they recovered again. Well, as we've been talking about, and as the indigenous people have always known, the earth is a living system. And yet, as we sit here, and many people, even James Lovelock, the founder of the concept of Gaia, has also written us off. He said, well, it's too late now. We can't do anything about it. We passed the midway point, and we're on a decline, and there's no saving it. And I, unfortunately, have to take a different stand from James Lovelock, who I so appreciate because of this. Because it is a living system, because it is capable of recovery at any time. It says once the, the disease, the virus, the parasite that has been inflaming the system is changed, the system will have a remarkable recovery. And it doesn't take that long. And it's interesting because I know there was an island in the Galapagos that Darwin had gone to. People had stayed on this island, a small island. They essentially cut all the trees down. And there was a point where it was no longer sustainable for people. They left the island 
not sustainable place to live. Less than 100 years, scientists went back to the very same place. Guess what? It's fully back into its full glory that it was before the people got there. And basically it says, if we stop the damage that we've inflicted at this point, the earth is capable of rebirthing itself and back into the garden again. So why this is important? Because if we do read the newspapers and we do see what science says about extinction and the planet and the pollution and all that, it could be very upsetting. Like, oh my God, there's no way out. And I'm saying, yes, there is. The moment we change, the moment we get off the track of self-destruction, planet will accompany us and lead us into a healthy world again that once was here. The planet is always moving toward health, and we are the impediment. And the planet is trying to tell us very simply, if humans don't learn to cooperate, the future of the planet will be beautiful because it will have no humans in it. And yet, this is the opportunity for us to come back to ground level, start building again. And I don't want to, as I said before in our previous conversation, I don't want to throw away technology. We need technology for a simple reason. When we utilize technology effectively, that means we have a smallest footprint in the garden. The less we destroy the garden by our presence, then the more the garden can grow. Right now, our footprint is so large, we're destructive of the garden. Yet technology is our saving grace. We get back into technology, we can live here without all the undermining of the environment that we are currently doing right now. So. The earth is saying, you got a chance here. You are on your deathbed. You want to think about this? <laughs> Maybe you would want to do it differently. Mm-hmm. There's still time right now. I was sitting with a Tezuke Pueblo woman, and she very humorously said, you know, those white people, they think that they invented the World Wide Web. We call it Spider Lady, and Spider Lady is the web of life. And if we treat the World Wide Web as that, as part of the of an Earth consciousness, if it is seen as an emanation of an older, deeper web of life, then we can't not use it. Absolutely. It's there. Absolutely. It's and there. as we can look around the world this very moment as we're talking... The World Wide Web is one of the most evolutionarily important advances for human civilization because in my story, each human, while individually being an entity unto themselves, science recognizes there's something called a superorganism, where each human is a cell in the body of a much larger organism called humanity. The human has finished its evolution. That happened a long time ago. The evolution we're facing now, we're not going to change our physical bodies to become different. We're going to change our relationship to each other and recognize the unity and family and community and well this is what the world wide web is all about it takes all those people from all around the world and says we're all on the same wavelength because that's how the nervous system works you get the brain which then can communicate the 50 trillion cells and the cells communicate back well the upheaval in the mid-east that's happening right now is what all brought about by the World Wide Web, where people in that world that have been cloistered and separated from the world and living in their own little desert, little communities, and not knowing what's going on, for the first time look on the web and go, oh my God, there's a world out there, we're not even part of it. And they're waking up. So, yes, indeed, the World Wide Web, the new technology, the advancement of the spider's web, which was the older version, the two are very compatible. They do exactly the same thing. It's whether we want to use the technology for our survival and thrival and for the planet's benefit, or as we currently are using it for the benefit of the few that get the corporate consequences of having their feet and hands in the till, so to speak. Uh, this is a time for a change. And, and this is why I so appreciate Tim giving me an opportunity to talk here, because I see this country hasn't gone as deep into the hole. And why that's important is wake up now, save a lot of trouble, because you won't have to repair as much on the way back up again. I agree. And... Can I swing back just a little bit to the indigenous peoples because there's two things that I found. Indigenous peoples, when they got hold of Lovelock's knowledge, when he found out that this planet is a super organism, and they're saying, hey, white man, we told you years ago, hundreds and hundreds of years ago, that our planet was an organism. 
and it's taken you with all your technology all this time to find out and the other thing that I found out a lot about Aboriginal people and many different cultures but the Amazonians when a mother had her baby and the baby was maybe a little bit dissatisfied or was grizzling or something like that she would pass it to her grandfather who would hold the baby for a while then pass it to the grandmother and the grandmother would pass it to the auntie and the auntie would pass it down to a sister and then to an uncle and so the baby was continually being passed on to somebody else in the family who loved that baby and each one would have a different gift to offer and so finally that baby becomes so secure in the knowing that they're part of a greater whole we're here, we have a lot of unmarried mums, sadly, because of the fathers we don't know where. And they put the baby in front of the TV, and the TV becomes a babysitter. And so if we've got all these people, kids running around, totally dysfunctional and fragmented today in the Western world, is because they don't have community and family. Exactly. And to me, this is why when I wrote, like in the Biology of Belief, I have a whole section on conscious parenting, because... It all starts with the programming that even starts before the conception. And yet we've disconnected ourselves because of our modern medical miracles. And that's, oh, birth is it's an egg and sperm come together. The woman just nourishes it. Genes run everything. So let the genes take over. And the fact is, genes don't run anything. It's our community, our environment, our perceptions that control our genes. And this is what the indigenous people know. And it's funny because as a modern scientist, as you said, yes, they had an awareness a long time ago that we are just beginning to uncover at the level of science today. For example, we know now in a level of science that the sperm and egg, the genes in a sperm and egg, before they come together for fertilization, before they're released from the mother, let's say the egg is ovulated or the sperm is released from the father, that those individuals, the mother and father, influence which genes are going to be activated in that child because nature said, well, listen, I don't know when this future child is going to be born, so I can't put a lot of characters and traits in the child because I don't know what the world's going to be like. I leave that for the parents. Why? Well, they're living in the world at the time of this fertilization, so their perceptions of the world will influence the genetic activity. So we find a new thing called genetic imprinting. It's very scientific, and it talks about how parents even select the genes as the germ cells are just maturing. And then we go back and we go to ancient history, and we find that the indigenous people always had important ceremonial rites that a couple had to go through before they were allowed to conceive their child. They already knew that if the parents' minds were not in harmony with each other and the planet and the community, that this would have a very adverse consequence on the child they produced. And all of a sudden we turn around and go, well, this is called genomic imprinting and this is a new step of science. And I go, well, yeah, about 3,000 years ago they knew that. (laughs) And we're just finally beginning to pick up on it because they knew how to create a healthy human and a healthy community. We know how to make products, but we don't know about community. And children today are products, not community. We cultivate a child to be a buying entity in the market. They even have programs now that they put infants, as you said, Tim, which is so destructive, in front of a TV for product recognition that they can get the infant to identify the product while they're not even able to speak. And so what was the point? It's like, oh, my God, we are programming self-destruction. And that comes from the fact is we have lost the meaning of parenting. We have lost the meaning of community. And that's why I reemphasize this is the moment in time. This is the moment in time to go to our indigenous parents more or less and say listen we strayed from the path and yet we're ready now and while we strayed from the path it wasn't all negative we created things like the internet which make a global community we've created technologies to improve our efficiency and our effectiveness so we don't have to keep destroying the planet for our own self-support so we take the indigenous world history the modern technology wed the two together and then 
the future is offering us more than survival. The future is thriving. We can live on this planet as one giant happy entity and stop killing each other and stop killing the planet. And that's the message. Normal in the southwest, of course, there's Navajo and the Pueblo and the Hopi Indians. And you've spent some time there, particularly in kivas and ceremony. Ceremony is important for indigenous peoples, but we in the West have really lost it. There is some ceremony in Orthodox religion. It's very, very conditioned. How do you see how ceremony can assist in recognizing our connection to community and the whole, to the planet, which gives us our breath? The connection to, to ceremony is a connection to the sacred and to the numinous worlds. And those worlds are something that everybody craves to be inside and with and inspired by. The kiva, for instance, is an underground temple space that allows people to not just walk on the surface of the earth, but come down into a womb space, a sacral frequency, an energy that is contained by the earth mother and is also containing fields. It's the creation of a field. And people unconsciously want to be part of that field. People consciously as we grow conscious under our understanding that field perhaps in more technical terms or in more quantum physics ways and the indigenous mind has always created centers for rites of passage centers that allow an experience of the sacred and so that has been a continuum in their culture for a very long time that has stood for healing. I know of a ceremony that was conducted for a woman at Hopi who was blind all her life. And one of the mesas decided that they were going to come together. We'll talk about spontaneous evolution. They were going to come together and fast and pray for one whole month together. Then they went into the kiva and they sent all that prayer and all that love and the intention of that light, of that sacred energy to her. And she's no longer blind. She's no longer, she's no longer blind. And so that is also the capacity of working, of creating, of co-creating fields and praying and being in communion with earth and using times to detox to alleviate the imprint of the greed, the models of power, everything that we can't help it. You go outside and you just get blasted by feels that say consume, sleep, eat, procreate at a certain level, buy this. It's what Bruce was saying about putting babies that can't even speak yet in front of a television because the waves from the television are already subtly programming the neural net, using its neural net to program the neural net of the mind and doing that kind of a thing. So where's the sacred in that? How do we return to that? So you see a great movement in the U.S., I'm sure globally too, where Buddhism is on the rise because it's got a prayerful practice. And we have the rise of Sufism and we have the rise of elements that speak to the sacralization, the return of the sacral energy to the earth. So Hopi does it, has been consistent with it. The Navajos have their, if you've ever been to a Navajo sing, a nine-day sing is a wonder to be a part of in the healing that comes from the sand paintings, the focus of the art and the geometries to evoke a quality of feeling and experience a field. I think we need to learn how to do that, to learn how to create through the sacred these fields so that we're in it all the time. It permeates everything anyway and be a greater part of that wholeness. Well, Norma, I believe you're totally right, except it's not that we need just to learn it. We need to relearn it. We need the to reason was it was already here. So it wasn't like something new that has to come out of somewhere. It was already here. And yet we dismissed it. And we dismissed it 
and that's an unfortunate part of our own technology because we went into a world of a Newtonian universe of materialism. Matter counts and visible stuff does not count. So for the many years since science has taken over our civilization, we have been directed by the rules of science, the belief of science to ignore the invisible because that's not important. It's the physical world that counts. And we bought into that to the destruction of the physical world. And it's interesting because it was now about 80 years ago that science itself changed its belief system. Science incorporated what we now call quantum physics. I said, well, what's the difference? Well, a Newtonian world said the universe is a physical machine. It's like billiard balls banging in against each other and, and life is all these collisions and just focus on the billiard balls. And quantum physics came in and said, well, that's an illusion. Because what we see as physical matter is, if you take it apart and look inside that atom, energy. Because there's no particles in the atom. It's all energy. So everything is made out of energy. And all of a sudden, there was this movement that said, wait, that energy, that invisible stuff that we dismissed, well, now has a name. They, and quantum physicists call it the field. I said, well, what does that define as? Well, in quantum physics talk, it means, oh, invisible moving forces that are influencing and shaping the physical world. I go, okay, that's a great definition, but you know what? There was a definition called spirit, and that was invisible moving forces that influence and shape the physical world. And all of a sudden, you start to realize, well, wait a minute. The ancient people's spirit and the modern scientists' quantum physics are saying the exact same thing. And yet, it's taken us a long time, and it's interesting. The corporate entities love the quantum physics. I mean, the first thing they created was an atom bomb. Hey, does it work? Yeah, we made an atom bomb. In New Mexico. In New Mexico. And then we made televisions and computers and spaceships and all this stuff using the awareness of quantum physics, but not bringing into the public the fullest understanding of quantum physics, which is your own thought is a generator of these fields. Your own heart is generating these fields. Your biological expression is a field. And all of a sudden, it's that stuff that we left out in the indigenous world, that weird <gasps> spirit, blah, 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 now comes, oh, it's quantum physics. And quantum physics, even the quantum physicists in 1930 said, it's our consciousness that is creating the world. They said that. And yet, conveniently, doesn't come into the real world because that means then Norma, you or Tim, you or any listener out there right now has consciousness. And if you use that consciousness, that becomes a shaping field of the world. And if you use it toward our benefit, then we would create a world that has benefits. But if you use it toward war, violence, corporate greed, well, then you create that world. So basically, as the quantum physicist said, we're not living in an accident. We're living in a manifestation. And the idea is, yeah, but who programmed your manifestation? Ah, that was the catch. And what we have to do is come back to realizing we are manifesting our world. And if we don't like this world, I don't think it's going to change by sitting in the living room and waiting and say, geez, I hope one day when I open that window shade, the whole world is different out there because what science has told us is this. We want to see the world difference, and we are the ones that have to get up and make the world different. This is not a passive evolution. This is an evolution of activation, and that means not the activation of corporate entities, the activation of people. And this is what I hold and aspire all the hope for, because I know that deep down inside, everyone wants the same thing. And that's why I trust people power over corporate power. I do, too. Realizing we're creators. That's right. In the 1930s, Sir James Jeans said the universe was a great big thought. Sir Arthur Eddington said the stuff of the universe is mind stuff. And the American Indian says, oh, great spirit. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You know, and if the issue about the quantum mechanics is if you could sell it in a capsule form, then corporations would be interested in it today. And that's why the new kind of healing is not in the interest of the corporate medical establishment for a simple reason. Yes, I can heal myself with my thoughts, my beliefs, my heart, my attitudes, my community, and all this stuff. And then you say, well, how much can we charge for that? And all of a sudden you realize you can't charge for that. And then the corporate people, the bean counters up there in the pharmaceutical land go, wait a minute. 
You mean you can heal without charging anybody? Well, who needs that? And basically have kept us away from that. In fact, uh, being in the scientific field, I have to tell you, the corporate presence in the medical community has been single-handedly instrumental in keeping out the nature of healing with spirit, mind, and thought, and living on good food and health in the community environment. They've kept that out intentionally for a very simple reason. I can't commodify it. I can't make it something that I could sell you units of, and therefore corporations have no interest in it, and therefore the media, which represents a corporation, will not even bring us the news of, well, my God, people are healing themselves every day by not going to the doctor. That it's safer, as a matter of fact, I even got now references on it for a long time. Mm-hmm. It has been safer for cancer patients not to go for treatment. That they live healthier and longer than they do when they go for the treatment. And the fact is, yeah, but where's that story? Well, you're not going to find that in a corporate entity that sells pharmaceutical products, television and news media. So the awareness of our ability to be powerful, the awareness of our ability to shape our lives and the world that we live in is not a public awareness because it doesn't support the corporate dream. They'll be out of business. Exactly. Norma Ambrose, of course, there are all these new what you call holistic modalities. There are so many from acupuncture, which is 3,000 years old, but to homeopathy. And then there's all the different therapies using oils and bark flower remedies. And then there's the physical therapies of osteopathy and chiropractic and, and particularly naturopathy. So we've got all these modalities. And then there's another lot coming through now we call vibrational medicine. And again, this is sort of a spirit moving, and it can be uttered just by voice at one level. Did you want to talk to that? Norma, you've been involved just recently in a practice in Santa Fe. Can you explain a little? Well, Santa Fe is a hotbed for alternative modalities, as is Santa Cruz. I think Santa Cruz is more the agrarian organic capital of the United States and Santa Fe is long held, it's an older city and it's long invited a quality of perspective that speaks to what Bruce is saying, that we have the capacity to be self-sustaining by how we think and feel about ourselves. The creation of that environment is more important to us genetically than anything. And so there's a huge resurgence, or as you were saying, Bruce, about science acting as if they've discovered genomics and epigenomics and and that kind of thing where it was just there and known through sacred practices with spirit the whole time. So I believe that at one point the modalities are there to help us understand that we're that powerful and that we're that capable of coming into thought in our own to heal ourselves without reaching outside of ourselves. And until we realize that we can be sustained and helped by naturopathic wisdom, essential oils, which are the soul of the plant speaking to us, especially if those plants are grown in great soil, that those plants are grown in ways that allow their consciousness to really support us in our own evolution. In particular, I have been favoring essential oils of light for actually many, many years because they evolved the limbic system and the reptilian brain and they evolved the older reptilian part of our beings into a greater sentience. So I'm looking at that as a a metaphor, literal and figurative, to come into these spaces. So the modalities are good because they offer an alternative worldview. They produce a group mind that don't just counteract the medical bottle that Bruce and I have been in. I mean, I've been in it in a small way just because I was the daughter of a pharmacist and you've been in it in a spectacular way from that standpoint. We're speaking towards the same thing. The self-empowerment, the embodiment of soul at a group global mind level through realizing our power and realizing that we have the capacity to create what we want in beauty and walk the beauty way. 
Yeah, this is this important evolutionary aspect to our life right now. And it's interesting because, indeed, I was involved with the medical community. I mean, I did medical research for years and got funded a lot of money and, and did some very interesting stuff. Uh, interesting enough to get me out of the system in the end. But what I can see from my perspective of being in the system is this. It's interesting in this world, it's based on people taking advantage of other people the way we live. And a long time ago, religion did this. Religion said, look, uh, this is the way it is, and we're going to tell you this is the way it is, and you follow the rules that we say. And so those people in the black coat actually made policy for the civilization. And what was interesting was if you violated the policy, the religion was so fundamental a system that the government would support the religion. So that if the government said this person's a heretic, uh, I mean the religion said that, the government would send out the troops and put the person and tie him up to the stake and burn him at the cross or whatever they were burning people. I don't know. But here's the point. When religion started to lose its impact because science started to come in, the same people who were behind the religion just moved their money over. And so the big vision that I saw that was so funny is in the previous version, they bought all the priest black coats. And in the new version of science, they bought all the priest white coats. And so it's basically the same religion. And guess what? This is the issue one I wanted to bring up. They formed a, a union, the medical people. And it was called, especially in the United States, because it was first place, it was called the American Medical Association. And what was the union? Well, it was a corporate entity to protect doctors in their viability as, as a profession. Cartel. It was a cartel. And then they started to create policy. Well, I'm a union of medical doctors, and there's a chiropractor, and there's a homeopathy specialist, and there's somebody else doing the Bach flowers. And I look at them and go... Who are you guys competing and taking my money? And so as a union, the American Medical Association infiltrated into the government. Because basically it said, we know health and those are quacks. And as a result, they ran a very systematic process to eliminate every form of healing other than the drug-induced pharmaceutical-based allopathic medicine. They made it out loud. They actually, like the church, interface with the government. So the government comes in and arrests the chiropractor or arrests the, the practitioner and says, I have a, a modality that can help cancer patients because by law, no one can heal cancer. This is a law in the United States. No one can heal cancer without use of a drug. That is the allopathic community's That's law. That's a law. So if I come in and say, you know, I can help you with the cancer by giving you a better diet and stress reduction, all that, that is against the law. That if a doctor actually prescribes or tells a patient to maybe some stress reduction, some eating better would be good for you, which it is, that doctor not only faces a jail sentence and a $10,000 fine, but they lose their medical license. And so basically, the old church which started out, of course, to be something very supportive of the population and then became tyrannical, has shifted into the new church called medicine that says you can only heal yourself with our pharmaceutical drugs. And that's, of course, why the pharmaceutical drugs are so happy, because they've instituted the policy that says only drugs heal. And if anybody offers a healing without a drug in the United States, that is practicing medicine without a license. And let's and, throw insurance into that, because that's the other part of the cartel. Oh, yeah. AMA, Big Pharma, insurance. All of this is tied together. And why I would really like people to understand is this, is that the very simple fact. So let's go to a fact and then start with a fact. And that is this. In the United States today, by statistics, medicine is the leading cause of death. It's called iatrogenic illness, which basically says I go to the doctor with problem A, the doctor treats me, and then I die from problem B, which was the result of the treatment. Iatrogenic illness is the leading cause of death today. That cancer is an industry unto itself. And the significance about that is if you cured cancer, it would undermine the industry. So do you think that we've improved cancer treatments in the years? We are using the same original caustic cancer treatments from, well, 1930. What was that? 
X-ray irradiation, destruction. Chemo. All right? Chemotherapy, destruction. All these aspects of destruction, it's like, you mean you were bringing health by destroying the body? After billions of dollars of research, it's the same thing. It's the same thing. And that's why they've shown, and that's why the statistics have come up, that a person with cancer has a far better, healthier, and longer life if they don't get the treatment for cancer. And we're dealing with, okay, I'm back into the new religion, but it's called the religion of science. But it's not new science, it's old science. And yet, is this helping my community? No, it's helping the investors that bought into the stocks of health care because we're making money off of sick people. Again, that my soapbox that I... Uh, well, the mechanistic model overpowering the organism because there's no trust or faith or respect in the organism, in the consciousness of the organism well, it, from which it sprang, but which it's going to override and divide and conquer. It's not so much the respect and all that, it's the amount of money you can get. It is. And, That's and the override. So if you live in a corporate world, then you measure everything in corporate standard. And the corporate standards is it profitable? And the issue is not if it's healthy. <laughs> so if the corporate virus starts to sneak into New Zealand or any other country, any other con- all the countries are developing, and everything is corporate. You have to deal with goods being shipped from China to the U.S., and you have to deal with corporations. You're not dealing with small farmers or cooperatives. The the cooperatives, when we tried to organize a quinoa cooperative in Bolivia and in Peru back in the 80s, it got overrun by a corporation that said, we're going to take that over, and it paid farmers 30 cents on the dollar. So we're dealing with corporations, talking to corporations globally. How do you think that we can support developing nations as American voices by demonstrating, as we are right now, what is good about it, what is not so good about it, what is in some ways downright evil and corrupt to the bone, and the greed and all of those models that are going on? What can we say? And I think we're saying it, sustainability, community, gardening, returning to self-sustaining models of health and awareness, taking back our power, conscious parenting, all of that kind of thing. And then find a nation like New Zealand. That's what I'm because driving at. Because when we get to New Zealand, we find a country that is not under the direct control of corporate world. And there's a freedom that's here that is not found in other places that I've visited and it's a freedom that if they lose it, it would be such a crime because what we're doing is comparing what is New Zealand doing compared to the rest of the world. And I say, what's unique about New Zealand? It is not a corporate country. It's a country still run by people where this country is so exciting because individuals can make a difference and you will not find that in other countries. So, God bless New Zealand Mm -hmm. in this regard. How do you feel about that, Tim? We're going to interview you now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, all I know is that that really the reality is there that this gigantic superorganism that we all live on, and then we are an organism ourselves, but we are a temple. We are a temple ourselves. Our body is a temple. And we're doing our best, or not doing our best, we're doing our worst, yet polluting this temple that we reside in, and also polluting the temple that has actually given us our body. And so we have to have a huge shift, and it has to come fast. We really, really have to wake up, and this is the perennial question. How do we wake up a humanity. What is it that makes the seed burst and want to plough through all this dirt to break through into the sunshine of the day and then to put up these beautiful green leaves, photovoltaic cells, and push them up with all these leaves to finally to flower and then the fragrance of the flower to come forth and to leave a seed for tomorrow. Well, it's interesting, too, because your wish for how fast can we do this is that it's happening right now, that we've hit peak oil, we've run down the other side, we cannot run a world on that anymore, that we've hit the food crisis, we can't support the food anymore, we've hit the health care crisis because we're not maintaining health, and we're hitting a global revolution. So, yes, it's happening right now, and the question is, well, you've got a choice, and this is what I look at. Uh, it's interesting because there's an old Cherokee story about a grandfather talking to his children, and and, and the grandfather said to, to the children, he said, I have a terrible fight inside of me. 
and, and he says, I have two wolves in my stomach. One is the, the wolf of love and peace, and the other is the wolf of anger and war. And he said, it's not just in me, it's in every one of you. He was talking to the children. And the children were like listening to the grandfather, and they said, okay, grandfather, which wolf will win this fight? And the grandfather simply said, the wolf that I feed... And so what I'm trying to bring about is we're facing a crisis. you got two choices. Participate in the crisis and go, oh, my God, all this trouble. All this, let's go look at all the war. Let's look at all the violence. Or I know the crisis is happening. Rather than investing my energy and my life into this crisis, I step outside this crisis and build something new. And so it says I am contributing energy to a new vision, and I'm not feeding that other wolf that most people are being. They're feeding it because they watch the media, they read the newspapers, they're being taken in by the politics of what's going on and being pulled from their safety zone and health zone into a world of upheaval and i'm saying i know that world of upheaval is there but why would i invest my energy into that world when i could step outside and say look i have a community right here i will take care of myself and my community first and remember back in the old hippie days there was a statement that said something before you go out and save the world take care of your own backyard Right on. This is what we need to do. And this is what Tim's work is all about. Mm -hmm. Feed the backyard. Because if we can get a strong backyard, then the world will not come into this yard. And this is what we need to do. And that's why Green Planet is a necessary voice of reason in a time of chaos. And it says, don't get caught in the chaos. Get caught in, there's something you can do. And that's what I then emphasize by saying, the evolution is not passive. Watching it on your TV is not how it's going to happen. It's going to happen when you get outside and clean up the yard and put some seeds in the ground and tend to your nurturing of yourself and your family and your planet. And that's what it's all about. Otherwise, it's just one big war. And it's feeding what you said, feeding happiness, feeding yourself the antidote of suffering equals salvation. It does not. That was religion. To me, that felt very Newtonian, too. Suffering equals salvation. And we're tired of it. The disassociation on the planet, the alienation on the planet, it's scary. It produces insanity. So back to your comment about Einstein saying, we cannot heal this from the place of which it was birthed. And it has to come into another place. So to me, this is essential. Yes, it's beautiful. um, Again, my congratulations to our dear host, Tim, uh, because somebody has to stand up and make this voice in a world where money does not support this voice. Money is supporting the anti-Tim. It's true. Conscious media. In New Zealand. That's right. And I'd like to say, with aroha, we need more aroha in our hearts. And there's plenty of room inside. We just haven't looked. In fact, many people are hollow inside because that's what was missing from filling up that chalice that's inside of us. The the heart chalice is lost heart. And the brain chalice has been overfed, but now it's time to come back and pour something back into our hearts. Well, media being, to me, the throat, the corridor between the mind and the heart, and the heart-mind has a voice. And that voice is coming out through this throat now and New Zealand has a very amazing capacity it's an an innocence a a quality that allows for this voice to stand stronger than in the U.S. that is really mind controlled by corporate entities uh, this is why I so appreciate uh, I I live uh, one foot in each country and when I go back to the U.S. what do I talk about New Zealand to give hope to people that have lost it that it can happen, and I really hope the people that are listening to this broadcast, uh, the Kiwis out here, recognize that your role is not just a, a little role at all in this world, that you are representative of what the world can be because you have not been crippled and paralyzed by an overwhelming corporate power sitting on your head here's an opportunity you can do it here and and be the light of the world and that's what uh, Edgar Casey and Buckminster Fuller both said that's what New Zealand represented in a time of world change and so we trust listeners that tonight you'll be talking with all your friends over dinner table 
Those who want to drink beer at the pubs, you can turn it around. You don't need to worry about who's going to win the game today. The big game is us as a unified field in this planet that we are merging to see ourselves as brothers and sisters. That is wonderful, Tim. Thank you very much for that. Thank you. Thank you. That was Bruce Lipton. That was Bruce Lipton and Norma Tarango. And I must say, Norma happened to be in the studio and became engaged with a conversation with Bruce and he invited her to come in and talk from an ad hoc point of view and assist in bringing the conversation to you. Bruce's website is spontaneousevolutionbook.com, beliefbook.com and brucelipton.com. I would like to draw your attention to the Green Planet Earth Files. This is a section of this program that covers points of interest that you as listeners can become involved. This way, the Green Planet program can facilitate positive options to bring about reducing our ecological footprint, acting in truly sustainable ways, and work towards becoming more carbon neutral. Earth Files for this week. Check out queenofthesun.com. That is queenofthesun.com. This is a feature documentary on what is happening to our honeybees both globally and locally. Bee Colony Collapse Disorder, CCD, is a phenomenon in which worker bees from a beehive or European honeybee colony abruptly disappear. While such disappearances have occurred throughout the history of apiculture, the term colony collapse disorder was first applied to a drastic rise in the number of disappearances of western honeybee colonies in North America in late 2006. Colony collapse is significant because many agricultural crops worldwide are pollinated by bees. It has been observed throughout Europe as well, and the cause or causes of the syndrome are not fully understood. Some authorities attributed the problem to biotic factors such as varroa mites and insect diseases. Others propose environmental changes and more speculative possibilities have included both cell phone radiation and genetically modified crops with pest control characteristics. Though we're still searching for the evidence, it has also been suggested that it may be due to a combination of many factors and no single factor is the cause. However, this is a very challenging situation for people on Earth. And I would suggest that when we clean up the environment, clean up the air, clean up the water, clean up the soil and not have pesticides in particular, there's a far greater chance that these bees, these miraculous workers, will be able to survive how they should survive. So let's look towards an organic future where we're not putting out any more chemicals into the environment. There's a concern in this country as well, so it's imperative that we work towards a more benign environment and do farming and gardening organically. That is Earth Files for this week. At 9.05 Thursday, this program is streamed from the Planet FM studios on planetaudio.org.nz slash greenplanet and iPod stream can be obtained six hours after broadcasting on greenplanetfm.com holisticliving.co.nz slash greenplanetfm.html and also on itunes.com search health. You can also follow Green Planet FM on Twitter at twitter.com slash greenplanetfm and facebook.com slash greenplanetfm. This is Tim Lynch in the spirit of goodwill mobilizing consciousness.